and welcome to the Top Order. We're at day eight of these, this World Cup. Uh, Australia, South Africa, luck now. One team scored a lot of runs, one team didn't get very many runs. We've got 100, we've got drop catches, we've got controversy, we've got chicken little. It's all coming up for you after this. So Baldy, uh, I mentioned chicken a little in the intro. I think we might get to whether the sky is falling a little bit later, but maybe uh, just before we start, we might draw things out a little bit. Mm. Uh, but how how are the listeners? Uh, what are the listeners going to get from you today? Because uh, I think they've enjoyed your husky voice, but uh, uh, maybe give us an impression of yeah, what what we're going to get from you today after that Australian performance. Mm. I know that living in New Zealand, Stuart. I have on a number of occasions been advised by my Antipodean brothers and sisters never to go full Australian. Today, <laughs> I'm going to go full Australian. I've been doing a lot of Googling this morning, Stuart, and I've been looking for amusement parks in Looknow or in the Looknow area. <laughs> Australia need to find a couple of amusement parks over the next couple of days and spend some quality time in the room of mirrors because so far in the World Cup, Australia's performance has been poor. Piss poor, actually. And they need to go and have a good hard look at themselves because whatever analogy you use, whether it's on life support, hanging by a thread in dire straits, you know, Australia have underperformed significantly in the first two games of this World Cup against sides that they measured themselves against in the warm-up, were found wanting then, and they've been found wanting now. The thing that really irks me is the fielding standards. So uh, before we get on to the rest of the the pod, I just want to throw this stat at you. Australia have only caught 54% of their catches in this World Cup. That is Ooh. that is the worst of any nation, and it is about 40% less than what we would expect from a decent Australian side. That comes back to coaching, training, and attitude. What is Australia's coaching, training doing? What are we doing in preparation for these matches? How hard are we working behind the scenes? Because it's not showing on the field. Australia can talk all they want about having good preparation, about doing all the hard work. When you do the hard work, it shows up in your fielding standards and in your out cricket. Australia's out cricket has been abysmal in this World Cup. Okay, there were some there were some chances like the one to Inglis that perhaps spun past the gloves, and you know that's a pretty tough chance for any wicketkeeper. But the reality is, they add up. You know, there were seven chances in this innings against um, against South Africa that we missed. South Africa went on to make 311. Uh, one guy was dropped on one by Cummins, went on to make 50. You know, Coley was dropped on 12 in the last game and in a low-scoring game went on to make 85. You cannot be in contention in a World Cup in any game of cricket by dropping seven catches at a club level, let alone at an international level. So other than the batting and the bowling, which we'll get onto, which were also dismal, they've got to fix their out cricket and they've got to fix it fast because, you know, you have a look at sides that were coached by hard-nosed players and coaches. You talk about Alan Border in the 80s. You talk about John Buchanan in the 90s and 2000s. You talk about Justin Langer four or five years ago. Australian cricket sides coached by hard-nosed coaches and players had exacting standards in their out cricket they were outstanding in their out cricket the personnel hasn't changed here for australia same people same people on the field but their standards of out cricket have been really poor haven't hit the stumps haven't taken catches you can't win games cricket like, like that oh straight there we go look at he's struggling <laughs> 
after that. I didn't expect a, a, a coaching staff thrown under the bus to, to start the podcast, but uh, I, I do sort of agree with you around uh, the fielding standards. I mean, we've talked about how wickets are so important in this World Cup. They're going to be crucial to kind of uh, how, you, how you can re- restrict scores and, and keep teams under 300, which seems to be, or even, you know, even 300 plus plus, uh, it seems to be kind of the magic number in this World Cup. But you mentioned English before. Let's kind of start right back at the start of the game. Australia made a couple of changes. They dropped Green and Kerry and brought in Stoinis and Inglis. What were your initial thoughts when, when those decisions happened? Well, I was actually happy about it, to be fair, because the selectors were prepared to make a tough decision. We talked about it in the Ashes. The selectors for Australia weren't able to or weren't prepared to make a tough decision to drop a guy who potentially wasn't in form or needed to be replaced. So I was actually quite happy when I looked at the at the pre-match preview and saw that Inglis had come in for Kerry because at least Australia were prepared to make a difficult decision. And okay, it didn't come off, perhaps to be expected by some people in the in the media, in the cricket support fraternity. But I thought, okay, at least Australia are prepared to make a difficult decision, both with respect to Inglis and re- with respect to Cameron Green. The unfortunate thing about Green is that he is a young kid who's still finding his way in international cricket. So we've got to be careful about how many times we drop a guy like that in terms of, you know, messing with his confidence. But um, in terms of the English selection, I actually thought it was a good move. I thought he could add punch to an Australian middle order that has been sorely lacking any kind of starch or punch so that they've, they've got nothing in the party department because they're lacking both of those things. Um, but at least they, they made a positive move there. Whether or not Stoinis for... Green is a is a positive mood move. You, you got to get something from your middle order, and Australia got nothing again. Um, but I, I was initially quite happy with that selection decision. And we go through the first fifteen or sixteen overs. Australia. I think you talked yesterday about how important it was going to be to pick up early wickets. That didn't happen for Australia by the sixteenth over. I think they were into their seventh bowler. Uh, we've gone through, cycled through the the opening three quicks. We'd gone Maxwell, we'd seen Zampa, we'd seen uh, Stoyanis, we'd seen Marsh. Mm-hmm. What what were you sort of thinking at, at that point? Well, actually, again, I wasn't too I wasn't too upset with the fact that we'd rotated our bowlers because as soon as you give De Kock, um three or four overs of the same bowler to look at, he's going to pick you up and he's going to drop kick you over the fence, which is what he did, I think, to Mitchell Stark in Stark's third or fourth over, right? Mm, so as soon as you as soon as you get straight to the Quinton De Kock, He's going to sort you out. And you saw how he worked out the Australian bowlers in terms of being able to get the ball through the offside with some great timing. That late cut was brilliant. He just figured out where the field change was, manipulated the deep point, got the third man up, late cut the ball for four. So you can't give that guy too much of the same thing. So I actually thought I was quite happy that Australia went to Maxwell early, went to Zampa, tried a little bit of different stuff when there wasn't a wicket on offer. It just so happens that our fielding standards let us down and we weren't able to execute. Look, for Australia, if we're going to be successful in this World Cup and we'll come on to how that how we're going to have to do that later on, we're going to have to take wickets with the new ball and we're going to have to extract some movement, um, either with seam or swing, that gets us those early wickets because we can't have sides none for 70 after 15 overs because we just don't have, in my view... We just don't have containing bowlers in those middle overs to be able to drag it back. As it turned out, in this batch, 
Maxwell did an incredible job. Didn't go for a yeah. boundary. 10 overs for 34. Picked up two wickets. Picked up both openers. So from that point of view, massive tick for Maxwell. This is what we asked of him after the last game against India. Are we going to see something from Maxwell? Absolutely we did. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, and I think... Uh... We, we've got to praise uh, Quentin de Kock as well. I mean, you, yeah, you touched on him there, but you know, I he flicks that one off uh, off his legs off Stark, and then next over he cuts that one uh, through the covers or through sort of you know point off uh, Hazelwood, and you just kind of went, oh, he's on today. Yeah, he's like, away. He's just he got it. He's got a hundred in the last game. This is two consecutive hundreds. I think he's retiring after this World Cup from from ODI cricket. Although to be fair. I think people just retire and then, you know, if he's still playing in four years, it wouldn't surprise me if he says, oh, yeah, maybe I'll come back and, and have another crack at the World Cup. But, he, you know, he's in incredible form. And I think that South Africa lineup, I mean, yeah, we've focused mainly on Australia so far, but it's sort of hard to see that South Africa lineup failing with the bat at the moment. Mm. I mean, yeah, we've ran through it in the preview, all the different, uh, all the different players that have got averages, very close to 50, if not over 50, it's it's pretty imposing. And I think actually for Australia, probably with the start that South Africa got, they probably would have felt okay with 311 on, on the board because, you know, I think they I think South Africa was at 200 with 15 overs to go and, and wickets in hand. And when you you talk about that lineup, we've we've talked we've seen them score at 10 and over for the last 20 last you know, 25 yep. at different points in the last few months. So, yeah, I think Australia at, at the halfway point might have been going, okay, we can chase this down. Yeah, damage limitation, absolutely. I mean, if you have a look at it, when de Kock was dismissed in the 35th over, prior to that, South Africa were two for 197 with 15 to go, and you had Klaassen, Miller, and Janssen all in the shed waiting to, waiting to come out to bat. Australia actually have done a reasonable job there by restricting South Africa to only 110 off those last 15 overs and I think they restricted them to 48 to 50 after over the last six or seven overs so despite the calamity of dropped catches and missed opportunities Australia's bowlers at the death which has been a problem for them in the past have executed their skills reasonably well um, but but still still Cummins went for sevens Zampa went for sevens one for 70 off his 10 They've got to have better contributions for Australia than they're getting at the moment. Maxwell, really the only shining light in that bowling performance for Australia. Could things have been different if we'd held our chances? Absolutely. Zampa gets a wicket in his first over against Bavuma. That's a tough chance, though, by the way. That spun, that was edged yeah. past Inglis's gloves. A lot's been said of, you know, changing the keeper Australia basically selected their way out of that wicket. I don't think so. That's a pretty healthy outside edge if you look at it on replay. Inglis had his gloves where the ball was going to be, or near enough. It probably would have hit the outside of the right glove. But still, that went a long mm. way past his gloves. So that one I don't blame him for. The rest, Australia completely culpable in the field, as I've said. And that comes down to the preparation. Not just their coaching staff, but the players themselves. You know, if this is Pat Cummins' team, he's setting those standards. And those standards at the moment are not good enough. And he knows that. He said that in the, in the post-match press conference. So as much as I joke about them needing to find a, a room of mirrors, they actually need to do a bit of soul-searching over the next couple of, couple of days because if they roll out that same performance in the field against Sri Lanka, they're going to get hosed by that side. And the batting, uh, do we want to d discuss that at all? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't especially pretty. 
They go from, uh, I think, 27 for none to 70 for six. And, uh, you know, the game the game is over by then. Australia then put, uh, you know, Stark and, and Labuschagne kind of helped the net run rate a, a tiny little bit there. But, yep. yeah, it, was, it, it got pretty messy for Australia in, in that batting order. Again, really, really poor in the middle order. We got nothing from five through seven again in this game. Uh, we talked about it in the preview. We talked about it at the end of the last game. Middle order collapses for Australia. Australia lost 6 for 43 to be 70 for 6 in this particular fixture. You can't win games of cricket like that. You can't win games of cricket when your 5-6-7 contribute 13 runs between them. I think in the previous game, we got 23 runs from 5-6-7. So in the space of two games, Australia have got less than 40 from six bats from the engine room of their of their batting lineup. Whereas you have a look at South Africa. Okay, none of them went on with it. But Klaassen, 29 at a run a ball. Miller, 17 at a run a ball. Janssen, 26 at a run a ball. And they have underperformed from, from what we would have expected them to achieve. In terms yeah, of the, everyone's it's, contributing. Yeah, but everyone is contributing, right? 109, 35, 26, 56, 29, 17, 26. Everyone gets a start in that South African side. One guy gets a really, really big score and everyone else bats around him. Whereas for Australia, in the previous game against India, our highest score, I think, was 41. In this game, the highest score in our top seven is 46. No one else gets past 20. Not good enough. Not nearly good enough. And I think for South, on, the, on the South Africa side of that, they'll be stoked with that performance because we've seen uh, probably in the last couple of months, their batting we've talked about a lot, but their bowling has sort of struggled to actually restrict sides. You know, they've been scoring 400, but they've they've still let the other sides score 300. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at that lineup now for, for South Africa, they'll be wrapped to see a, a really good performance from Rabada. That ball to Inglis was beautiful. Oh, superb. Uh, they'll be... They'll, they'll be wrapped with, you know, I, I think they'll be really pleased with how that balance of that bowling attack worked because, you know, I think as we go later on in this tournament, we're all expecting spin to play a big part. They made a change. They brought in Shamsi for Kutsia. And, you know, now with uh, Ngidi, Rabada, Janssen as their three seamers, that looks very solid. Maharaj and Shamsi, if they can perform as well, then yeah, the South Africa side. It's a great I, side. You know, Raj... Raj said last time, I'm, I'm, you know, he wasn't convinced he, after that performance uh, against Sri Lanka. They're going to have to do a bit more to sort of convince him that they are, are real contenders for the title. But um, I think I read in, in uh, one of the one of the reviews that I've I've seen this morning. You know, South Africa's not doing a very good job of staying under the radar as uh, as you know, dark horses for this tournament. They're they're sticking themselves right up there as as um, you know number one favourites at, at this point. Well, maybe not number one favourites, Stu, but they've been, they've been outstanding. Have a look at this bowling lineup. Ngidi, eight overs for 18 at two and a halves. Rabada, three for 33 off his eight at fours. Maharaj and Shamsi, let's, let's talk about them. Let's talk about how India took six for 100 against Australia with their three spinners. These guys have taken four for 60, or four for 68 to be accurate. In their in their seventeen and a half overs against Australia, going at 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 fourish, outstanding performance from the spinners. Australia again weakness against spin. Are we surprised? I'll put my surprised face on. <laughs> but but honestly, this is a complete performance from South Africa. They've scored three hundred with the bat. They've got contributions from everyone. They've bowled Australia out for under two hundred again. They've got contributions from all their bowlers. What's not to like? I don't think they're tournament favourites yet. 
let's measure them up against India, New Zealand, Pakistan, etc., um, and and England before we make that determination. But from what we've seen, they've certainly put Australia to the sword and put Australia's World Cup at the ICU. Do we? Do you want to talk about any of the controversy? A few uh, a few weird decisions, I think, from the the um, from the the uh, the man upstairs. Smith's dismissal and then Stoyanis' dismissal, both a bit weird. I don't think they've played any part in the actual, uh, you know, game. I, I, I guess you could argue that Steve Smith doesn't get out at that point and him and Labuschagne can, can build a partnership and, uh, you know, maybe get Australia in a position where that middle order of Maxwell and Stoyanis and things can could go at the end there and, mm. and really get going. But yeah, anything you want to say about that? I mean, people, listeners can, and viewers can probably go and check those dismissals out themselves. I think they, yeah, the Smith one for when I when I saw it was, it was sort of just weird because you didn't uh, all the all the footage that I've seen, you didn't kind of see the build up. You just kind of saw the the ball hitting the stumps, and, mm. and from the naked eye, it definitely did not look uh, out. Yeah, look, you're going to get bad decisions in cricket, and you've and you've got to roll with that. But actually. Those two decisions probably were pretty impactful. Steve Smith at that point batting, I think he was with Manus at the time. Um, You know, that's the engine room of Australian cricket. We've seen what happens after that, and there's not a lot. So for him to be dismissed and then expose the the tail from five down um, (laughs) is not ideal. But I think Marcus Stoinis, the one for Stoinis for me, is the one that probably is the most impactful from a luck perspective. Marcus Stoinis needs something lucky to happen for him to get him back into some form. Because when you're getting dismissed and you're out of form, you find ways like that to get out. You find weird ways to get out. I mean, he was dismissed. I think the decision is incorrect. If if his hand is not on the bat and it's not touching his other hand, by the rules, the laws of cricket, that's not out. Right? Mm. That is, that's just not out. It, it shouldn't be out. Um so have the umpires got that got that wrong? Potentially. The umpire, I think, in his determination said bottom hand touching top hand, therefore still connected to the bat, therefore out. Um, I haven't seen the footage, so I can't make a determination either way. But Stoinis just needs something good to happen for him so that he can get back in the way, in, into some winning ways and in, in, into a bit of confidence. So that's the thing that I think is probably the most impactful for me in that he probably needs just a little bit of luck to get himself back into form. Did it impact the outcome of the match? No. We got beaten by 100-plus against a side that we didn't really look like we were ever in contention with. So <laughs> so unless there's a Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors moment where we can see Smith go on and get 100 and see Australia win that game, I, I don't think we should be talking about that. I think we should be talking about the guys who were there didn't take their opportunity. There's uh, There's been some brilliant analogies from you today. And uh, you used one yesterday about Chicken Little. Should we should we touch on now? I mean, is the sky falling for Australia? Yes. You know, they've is 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 it as simple as that? I mean, you know, I think I think these Australia is going to look. Well, the media, fans, everyone's going to look at these two performances from Australia. Failed to score over two hundred in both games. They've struggled at times. Different different parts of it with the ball. They have struggled in the field, as you mentioned. Is it tournament over? How, how do they get back on track here? Well, let's have a look at the performances so far. Australia have failed to make 200 in a World Cup where most sides are making 300. They've been bowled out twice. And not just bowled out. They've been bowled out with their tail fixing or, or masking over 
a significant issue. Stark, Cummins, Zampa, between them, let's have a look at the scorecard here, 60-odd in those three batters. Mm. Way more than we got from the top six, uh, top seven other than Smith and Marnus. <clears throat> so between them, Marsh, Warner, Inglis, Maxwell, Stoinis scored less than Cummins and Stark, effectively, right, in this game. Not good enough. So we can't make runs, and we're getting bowled out. We can't bowl sides out. We didn't bowl India out, not even close. We didn't bowl South Africa out, not even close. So on both sides of the coin, we've found ourselves wanting. Our out cricket is historically poor, historically poor from an Australian standards perspective. And even having a look at the other sides in the World Cup, we are the worst performing catching team in the World Cup through the first two games. That is a historic outlier as far as Australia is concerned. So there's work to do in every facet of the game. And for Australia to get themselves back on track, I think they need to win six out of seven to give themselves any chance of making the semifinals. We need to absolutely marmalize, to borrow a phrase from Adam, <laughs> at least three of those sides. And one of them needs to be a top four side. We need to beat two out of the three of England, New Zealand and Pakistan. And we need to smash them to be any chance of getting enough net run rate to give us any chance of being inside that tournament top four. Now, I've used any chance twice there, but that's how dire it is for Australia, right? <laughs> if you have a look at it now, Australia is anchored to the bottom of the table with a net run rate of minus 1.8. So far in the top four, you've got every side, South Africa at the top now, they're 2.3, then New Zealand, twos, India, one and a half, Pakistan, one, England, plus a half, Right? So for Australia to be any chance now, we have to absolutely demolish Afghanistan, the Netherlands, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. We have to absolutely destroy those sides. We have to win at minimum two out of three against England, New Zealand, and Pakistan. And we have to thrash one of those sides. I can't see it happening for Australia. I just can't see how we're going to turn this around to go six from seven on the bounce at least and really put in some command performances. I just don't see Australia doing it. I my the New Zealand part of me always uh, is always thinks Australia's just going to win after uh, after years and years of, of watching this happen and and uh, often at New Zealand's expense. And I, and I will say, I think I actually think that uh, I think for Australia, the the positive you might take if there's anything from this is that. South Africa and India, the teams that you've lost to, at this stage in the tournament, look like semi-finalists. They look like sides that are, are going to be right in the mix uh, at the pointy end of this tournament. So you can think, okay, maybe that you know, maybe losses to them aren't as drastic as what losses to other sides you know that you you might be fighting for there. You've got Sri Lanka in the next match that can hopefully get you back on track. We've seen Sri Lanka's bowling just be taken apart by everyone uh, that they've played so far. And then, as you say, Pakistan, Netherlands, New Zealand, England, Afghanistan, Bangladesh. There's there's some very winnable games in there for Australia. I think that, I, I still think that five, I, I, think, I think if you looked at the table last tournament, we saw that six wins got you in, and then five was run rate. Five wins was all down to run rate. And, and that's I, the and problem Australia this, have though, right? That's the problem Australia have. If they're relying on net run rate, they're going to fall out of contention. They need to win more games than Pakistan, England, New Zealand. If if India and South Africa are the top two in your view, I still think England are in the top two, but anyway. 
if those are the top two, Australia need to beat and have more wins than the remaining sides. Let's just say it's New Zealand, Pakistan, England, maybe South Africa, right? We cannot go head-to-head on net run rate with those sides, particularly with this batting. If we can't make 300, there's no way we can improve our net run rate unless we skittle sides for 80 or 90. And I I just don't see England, New Zealand, or Pakistan being skittled for 120, 130. I just don't see it happening. So Australia have got it all to do. We need to be able to bat our overs and make and make good scores that we can then bowl at. I think it's a different story if you're trying to go after Zampa and, and there's a big score on the board. But if we can't make 250, 300, there's no way we can play semi-final cricket in this World Cup and we don't deserve to. Yeah, look, I, I can't argue with you there. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, we could talk about this for quite some time. I'm going to have to scurry off to work soon. A quick message or a quick sort of look ahead to tomorrow. We've got New Zealand versus Bangladesh. I think changes are coming for New Zealand. We know that Kane Williamson is uh, is going to, well, we, we hope and we assume that Kane Williamson is going to be returning for New Zealand, which is which is very exciting for me. I mean, you know, we, we I think people are going to be talking about Ratchin and what's going to happen to him and after the way he started this tournament. But Kane's, Kane's our greatest ever batter, in, in my opinion. So, you know, to have him return and, and particularly to a tournament that I, I didn't think he'd make. So it's it's exciting to see him back in the mix. I think there might be another change to the bowling attack. We've got some decisions to make there. If if, uh, if it's going to spin as much as it did in that India-Australia game, then Ish Sodi might come into the mix. But yeah, a few things to, to look forward to here for New Zealand and, and hopefully another big performance against Bangladesh because... We haven't had a great record. We've had a good record against Bangladesh in World Cups and tournament play, but we haven't had a great record uh, in the past few years uh, in touring Bangladesh. Uh, we did just beat them 2-0 in an ODI series over there just before this tournament, so I think that hopefully holds them in good stead. But it was kind of completely different sides for, for both teams at, at various points in, in that series. So, yeah, a lot to, a lot to look forward to uh, from a New Zealand point of view as we move into Friday here in New Zealand. Baldy, any final thoughts before we sign off on this podcast? Yeah, just just a couple of quick questions on this New Zealand game coming up. So Kane's coming in. Who's he coming in for, quickly, in two words? I think he's coming in for Mark Chapman. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think he's coming in for Chapman and Ravindra goes down to seven. I could be wrong there, but uh, and, and people will be sad to see Ratchin uh, move down the order after the way he started. But yeah, as I said, Kane's... Kane's our greatest ever batter, and he's coming into number three. So I think they'll be they'll be pretty happy with that. Plenty of good opportunities, or plenty of good um, problems to have, I should say, for New Zealand in that they've got their form batter or one of their form batters dropping down the order to six, maybe even maybe even number seven. Um, you mentioned a change in the bowling attack. If Ish Sodi comes in, who do you think he comes in for? I think he comes in for Lockie. If if they do decide to make that change, I don't see how you can drop Trent Bolt or Matt Henry. They've been uh, outstanding. I think that the while I like that, I think the one thing it does do is it means we only have two seamers. Uh, you know, a lot of the other sides that play uh, two frontline seamers often have a Stoyanis or Cameron Green or they have Hardik Pandya or they, Hardik, yeah. they have someone that can bowl some overs. We would have Daryl Mitchell would be our other seamer option because, you know, Jimmy Neesham was left out of the last side. I don't see him getting back into the side at the moment. So, yeah, I think it... it it does restrict your options there, but the fact that Mitchell Santner seems to be pretty comfortable bowling in that first 10, as soon as you get past that first 10, as long as you trust your spinners to bowl, then it doesn't, you know, 
you're not worried about fielding restrictions or anything like that. So yeah, I think New Zealand will 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 go with that approach if this if the pitch is going to to spin as much as uh, you know we we sort of expect it to. Otherwise, I would say we might see Lockie get another crack. He, I think he did a reasonable job in in the last game against the Netherlands, and um, you know he's someone that in the previous World Cup was a huge huge cog in our bowling attack. So I think they'll want him to be an important factor once again. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's important for Lockie Ferguson to get some form, to get some confidence, to get some wickets and get him bowling, uh, as they say in cricketing circles, quick wheels. Thank you, Stuart, for taking us through what has been a very, very disappointing Friday morning for me from a wrap-up perspective on Australia's World Cup campaign. But, you know, uh, sometimes a little bit of schadenfreude can be delicious. So I'm I'm sure uh, non-Australians will be licking their chops at the prospect of Australia going out early in both the Rugby World Cup and the Cricket World Cup. But there's a long way to go, and I think if Australia can rip off six out of seven, then there might be some chance of playing the semi-finals, and who knows what can happen from there. I think that's all from Stuart and I this morning on the Top Order podcast. It's been a fun half an hour with you again, Stu. Uh, if you're out there listening or watching, take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll see you again soon on the Top Order podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>